Good afternoon, and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in response to increasing governmental incursions into our religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. One of the most egregious examples was the 1973 Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, that legalized abortion on demand. Since then, 60 million babies have been aborted. In the years following, people have protested that decision by marching in the nation's capital on the anniversary of that horrible ruling. The LCMS is deeply involved in the fight for life. Part of the Synod's effort is the 2019 LCMS Life Conference. Office of National Mission Executive Director, the Reverend Bob Zagor, talks about the conference and other pro-life issues on today's Free to be Faithful. I'm Kip Allen, moderator of Free to Be Faithful. My guest today is Pastor Bob Zagor, who's the Executive Director of the Office of National Mission for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Pastor, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Could you tell me a bit about yourself and about the uh, about the program? Well, I'm I'm somewhat new to the to the synodical headquarters. I've been in the current position with the Office of National Mission for about seven months. Before that, I spent 27 years as a parish pastor, almost exclusively in Michigan. Ah. Well, hopefully our weather's a little bit better than Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) At least this time of year. Yeah, I was going to say, at least not as cold. That's right. We have coming up uh, both a sad and yet a hopeful anniversary. It was in January of year 1973 that the Supreme Court made its infamous ruling on Roe v. Wade, thus legalizing abortion on demand. Since that time, about 16 million lives have been lost in this country because of abortion. The year immediately after that, a group of pro-life people started what was called the March for Life and has continued ever since then. In the year 2019, just coming up, the LCMS is actively involved in this and we have got what's called the LCMS Life Conference. That's right. Could you tell me about that? Well, we're participating in the Life March, but beyond that, we've got a a Life Conference on the Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday of the Life March, the 17th, 18th, and 19th. And we're going to talk about how to how to speak about pro-life issues in your community, in your congregation, and give people some actual things that they can take home with them that will make a difference in the way that they advocate for all of the people who are subject to the hostility of our culture and the devil. And uh, the devil's certainly very active in our society today. He is. is. What are some of the concrete arguments that we can make as as Lutherans to people who are either pro-abortion or just don't know that what what their position should be well of course this this covers a, a wide range of topics from from pre-birth to to the sick grandmother in the nursing home mm. and what you do at various stages of life and how you treat people and for Christians the argument has to start out with the fact that these are beloved by God you don't you don't take someone that God says is alive, is beloved by him, someone for whom Christ died, and say that their life is expendable. So oftentimes, in these life arguments, what happens is people want somebody put out of their misery. Not, not the individual's suffering, but out of the misery of the people who have to take care of them. And you, you hear 
arguments, for example, they'll have no quality of life. Mm. But what they often mean when they talk about having no quality of life is they can't do anything for me. They can't, they can't help me. They're just going to lie in a bed and need to be fed. Well, that doesn't mean that they have no quality of life. It, it actually means that they call on the highest and most noble order of our lives, our love and our charity, which in the Bible are very similar words. And we should also point out that, again, as Lutherans, mm-hmm. life begins at conception that's and right. it ends at natural death. This is not negotiable. This is what the Bible says. Amen. Amen. And lately, as we've been talking about it, we've been trying to um, trying to use the word procreation because there are folks who are playing around with this whole idea of conception now. And, well, is, does that mean it's at the time that the egg affixes to the mother's uterine lining or whatever? But you know what? We don't have to play games with those people that God has created. You only have to play games when you're looking for excuses. And so if you use procreation, then you've got God's creation in it. As soon as, as, soon as God makes them alive, they're alive, and we don't have to play vocabulary games with people who are looking for an excuse. This is the way we exercise our freedom of religion, by witnessing what we, what we know to be God's will and God's way. And this is one of the things that we'll be doing in Washington this coming January. Uh, I think it's very important for people to realize that freedom is very fragile. And our freedom of faith is under attack today. Oh, most certainly. And, and if you don't stand up and defend it, then those who don't want you to have that freedom will take it away. And there are many people who don't want you to have that freedom because it impinges on what Lutherans traditionally call their licentiousness. They want to do that which is evil, and when we start talking about that which is good, it it interferes with it. (laughs) You're quite correct. And, you know, you pointed out, uh, I I think very correctly, that when you talk about quality of life or what have you, you're right, it is a selfish thing that these people are saying. Uh, the, The woman who finds herself pregnant... Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't want the responsibility of carrying the child and caring for it. Of course, there are options. We strongly support the idea of, of uh, adoption. If you don't want to raise the child yourself, there are many, many families out there who are looking for it. And then, of course, we have the end-of-life issues as well, which I think are sometimes overlooked. You know, we uh, here at the, at the Missouri Senate lost a very beloved sister, Maggie Carner, yes. mm-hmm. a few years ago to glioblastoma. At the same time, there was a young woman out in the West Coast by the name of uh, Brittany Hughes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Brittany was determined to to end her own life. And Maggie wrote the most touching memo and letter to Brittany. They were both suffering from the the same disease, but their approach to it was so different. Maggie went out with, with joy and with hope and with the knowledge that she really would never die. Brittany just wanted to end well, and that's that's part of the hopelessness that surrounds the messaging of those who oppose life, is they, they don't give you a message of hope. They don't point you to something better. They don't point you to the greatness of your creation or the greatness of your life. They point you to the hopelessness of it all. 
There's no hope. They'll never have a good quality of life. They'll never be able to do anything. They'll never have the things that other people have. They'll never be able to communicate the way that other people do. They're going to have a disease, which is somebody might make fun of them. They're always pointing to the hopelessness. Those who know Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, know that we don't live in a hopeless society. We don't have a hopeless culture. We don't have a hopeless age because Christ is here with us. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we trust that, which means that every life has meaning. If you've got time, I'll tell you a quick story about how I, how I really saw this come home in my ministry. Please early do. On. There was a... A lady in my early ministry, she was one of my only shut-ins at the time. It was a very small congregation. I was fresh out of seminary, and she was suffering terribly. She had, she had a bad heart. She was on an oxygen extractor in her in her home. Took the oxygen out of the air. She she had COPD, a bad heart. She she just was having all sorts of trouble. And then gangrene set into her limbs, mm. and so she. She got into severe pain, and I would visit her all the time. And after after a few visits, I kind of ran out of things to say. <laughs> and I'd, I'd read the Bible passages for that week. I'd talk about what my sermon would be. But it, we both said, I don't know why God has you here, but I'm sure he has a purpose. Well, her family moved in and allegedly to take care of her but what they did was they drained her bank account they oh they they threw parties they it was just a terrible terrible circumstance and i've got to admit as i walked through i i i felt something very much akin to hatred for them that's not the kind of thing that a clergyman should say but i looked at they were smoking and there's a lady on an oxygen extractor in the back room and the house was filled with smoke and it wasn't always tobacco smoke and it was just terrible terrible and the one day she walked in and i walked in and she said to me pastor i know why i'm here i said why she said because I'm the only one left on earth praying for my family. Ah. And I said, oh my goodness, you're right. That's exactly it. The Lord has the highest and greatest, most noble purpose for you. Mm-hmm. And that's why he left you here. And even I didn't see it. I was, so, I was so involved in what they were doing, I forgot to love them. And I said, I promise you, I'll, I'll be praying for them too. Well, I went through um, a somewhat similar situation. Mm-hmm. I'm a widower, and my uh, late wife died of COPD. And mm-hmm. as you know, that's a long process. It is. And what I remember, we moved the bed into uh, the dining room of all things because we, mm-hmm. we were living in a uh, condo in, in California, and it had a beautiful view from the uh, from the from the dining room out onto the mountains. And she loved the mountains. She loved mm-hmm. to see that. And that was, God, that gave her such joy. And I, I, and I remember uh, she asked me to get a little bird feeder. Yes. Uh-huh. Out of the port so she could watch the birds. And uh, just little things like, you know, I, I, I wet her lips. Mm-hmm. And the, the expression of, of, of uh, relief and satisfaction she'd get from that. That's, that's part of quality of life. And she what she she hung on to the end. She uh... and that's that's part of the quality of love too. 
It's That is such a remarkable thing. You think about how Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones who believe in me even a cup of cold water in my name mm. will by no means lose their reward. And we we somehow think that that the love we show has to has to do something with flying off to some unknown remote island and preaching the gospel to natives who are there. But you know, the Lord talks about us loving our neighbor, and that's the person right in front of you. And the the very nature of love is that you sacrifice for the sake of the beloved. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this than he gives his life for his friends, lays down his life for his friends. Mm-hmm. To sacrifice for the sake of the beloved is everything that God has taught us to be. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Thus you will show yourself to be children of your Father in heaven who causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. You think about it, what's a rain shower? It's not much, is it? No. Yeah. But it's that daily provision, the one who gives us our daily bread, who loves us every single day, who numbers the hairs on our head. And we forget how to love people because we start thinking of them only as means to an end. How can this person give me pleasure? I'm going to marry them and love them, and as soon as they stop giving me pleasure, the love must be gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? That... That really never has been love, has it? No, it hasn't. And you you had the opportunity to show your wife that the love that you have is genuine and godly because you got to do that on a daily basis over a long period of time when nobody could have forced you. You laid down your life for her. What a beautiful thing. Well, I promised. Well... Thanks be to God for you and the many, many people who have done that throughout their lifetime. And I'm, I am truly honored that you that you shared that right now. It was quite an experience. It, it is. But you know what? Every minute, every single minute was a gift from God, wasn't it? Yes. And that's what we need to understand. The people that he's given us, he's given us with a loving purpose in mind. They are never inconvenient. They're never people who are in the way. They're people that he's put there to expand the circle of our love, to expand the circle of our lives, to expand the circle of the grace that he would give to us. But I got to tell you, it can be a very rough path. Oh, love is. I mean, love took him to the cross. Mm. And Jesus said, whoever would come after me must take up his cross and follow me. It's called a cross on purpose. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a little bit about carrying the message to, uh, to those who are not our friends. Okay. We're going to be marching in D.C., mm-hmm. and we know there are going to be counter-protesters there. Sure. And uh, some of them are very angry and uh, nasty, I suppose, would be one way to describe it. How do we respond to them? Well, we have to remember that the only way that they got that anger, the only way that they got that hatred, the only way that they that they got the motivation to stand there and hurl insults at us is because they're caught in a trap. Okay, expand on this. That that trap is that they're caught in the devil's lies too. They don't understand 
they don't understand the value of their own lives or they couldn't hurl those kinds of insults at those who are trying to protect them. They don't understand that one day they're going to be the person in a bed whose life is going to, whose life is going to mean something to us, even if it no longer means something to them, even if it no longer means something even to the, the perhaps a, a, a nurse or a doctor who's attending them there will still be people like us who are praying for them, who know the value of them, who know the deep love that the Lord had for them. So what we need to do as we respond to people who are in those positions is to remember that these are God's children. Uh, now that I'm a father of grown children, <laughs> okay. I've got four children, 31 to 21 years old, and I think of all the different things that could happen to them. They're great kids. They've never gotten into the slightest end of trouble. But I keep thinking about all the bad things that could happen. And everything, <laughs> every time I hear something on the news about somebody in their age group that's done something or that's gotten into trouble or, or God forbid, has died, I, I picture my kids. And I say, they're out of my house. I can't control what's going on. I can't control their environment. I can't control their friends. And I think, Lord, please send somebody to help them, somebody to make sure that they know the right road, that they stay on the right course, surround them with godly friends, put people in their lives who will pray for them and love them. And when we walk past those people who are protesting, when we walk past those people who are angry, somebody has prayed that prayer for them. Mm. Lord, send somebody into their lives who will love them. And we can be those people, even if it's only for a minute as we pass by, and our response is love instead of anger. Our response is that we care for them rather than just take a different side and marginalize them because of it. I know a lot of people who are, they call themselves pro-choice, I call them something else. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a lot of them, a lot of their anger is really motivated by guilt. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's the. Uh, I know there's been numerous studies on how guilt can lead to anger. Oh sure, and I think maybe this is part of it. Is they know they're wrong somewhere deep down inside. They know. Oh sure. That what they're saying, what they they are advocating is, is is heinous. Well, you can't escape God's law. It's written in our hearts. It says so right in the Scripture. So no matter what the sin is, we. Even when we've deadened most of our senses, we still know the truth of God's righteous law. We still know that those who violate it deserve punishment and even death. The, the apostle himself says those words. And so we really don't have to convince anybody about the law because the law cries out in their own hearts against them. And so they're captives to shame and guilt just as you were saying, and shame and guilt often express themselves as anger. Mm-hmm. I, I know I've gotten into some arguments on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I've, it's not a baby, it's just a clump of tissue. And I said, Anna, keep telling yourself that, and maybe it'll soothe your conscience. You know better. You, yeah, yeah, you do have to come yeah. up with excuses for yeah. how, you can, how you can justify it. But there's, there's not even, there's not even a, a, a practical sense in which that's true, because we we know that it's a baby. We talk about it as a baby, and we can call we can call a seventy year old man a clump of cells. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm seventy, so <laughs> yeah. But there's you're right. There, uh, but there's a 
there, there's so much now where science is now coming down on our mm-hmm. side. And, you know, so many, so many of the uh, secularists say that those of us who are faithful are anti-science. And yet, again and again and again, science is affirming what we have already known. This is a human life. Well, that's very true. That's very true, and you have a number of people who try to go around it or say, well, there's a better use for those tissues or something like that, and, and, and we can use them for research. Well, they know better. They know better because God has told us that the law is written on their hearts, and we're not anti-science. In fact, if you look at my family, my wife, my wife has a master's degree in soil science. My my daughter-in-law is going for a PhD in microbiology. They're two very faithful women, and we've got lots of scientists who work in our synod and help us come up with these pro-life positions that we have because. It's just where it naturally points. There is there is no doubt. Science never says that that child in the womb is not human or is not alive. In fact, science confirms it. But that's also part of the good news, Kip, because if you look at how they've been pushing back and pushing back since, since the 1970s and 16 million children have been victims, but look at the progress that we've made in turning around a culture. Oh, one, one thing I have noticed uh, mm-hmm. observing the uh, March for Life over the years is the, uh, the demographic. Yes. It's getting mm-hmm. younger and younger and younger. You know, when it first started as a bunch of old people like me, not now. We're seeing hundreds of thousands of people march and they're young. I was I was going to point that out. In fact, this this life conference that we're having, the registration has has already closed. Although, if somebody really wanted to go, we would find a spot for them. But half of the people who are going are under twenty one. Wow! I mean, we've got a lot of a lot of college students who are going to be there. A lot of a lot of our young folks who are who can't wait to participate in saving in saving lives because they understand this is this is the real civil rights v- battle of our age we we come up with all sorts of crazy things and call them civil rights but if you want to if you want to talk about a civil right being able to take a breath is a civil right and these are these are things that that not only has the Lord said, but it's been obvious to nations throughout the years, and even even going back to the founding of our nation, and we hold these 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 truths to be self-evident that everybody is endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The very first one in that list is life, and that. This isn't a gift of man. This isn't a gift that the government gives you. This isn't something that the government, apart from due process of law, has the right to take away. This is a right given by our Creator. One of the other things I find very encouraging about the March for Life mm-hmm. uh, is, of course, you know, this isn't just a Lutheran thing. You're, you're, right. Broad spectrum. There's the Students for Life organization. There are various other church groups that are involved in it. But also, we find Jewish groups involved. We find Muslim groups involved. There are even secular groups mm-hmm. that are involved in this. There's there's really a broad appeal here. And that's another thing that I find very, very encouraging. Well, I think that people who are honest with themselves all know what it is that's at stake. Even people who are not faithful Christians mm-hmm. know what's at stake. I mean, if you if you get a hardened atheist, and they come home, they come home to the news that their beloved daughter 
is about to have her first baby in a situation in which they could they could find contentment aren't they going to rejoice and don't they refer to it as a baby don't they talk about the gender of the child and what the child's name is going to be and how they're going to grow up and don't they talk about putting away money in a college account and all of those other things we really really have to forcibly blind ourselves not to know that that's that that's somebody of value in the mother's womb well one thing uh, i read just recently in one of the uh, in one of the uh, pro life publications there was a couple that tragically lost their unborn baby at 12 weeks mm-hmm. and what they had done was they actually showed the baby mm-hmm. its fingers were developed its feet were developed it even had nails how can you deny that that is is not human? They're just showing it back and back, further back, further back. Well, and science is being our advocate now. Um, our our most recent life coordinator and life director here at the at the Missouri Synod was a is was a gal named Stephanie Neugebauer who went off to be a wife and mom and pastor's wife and and do all sorts of grand things in the kingdom of God, but. She was also an ultrasound technician. Yeah, I've met her. Yeah, she, great gal. As a matter of fact, I confirmed her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> great gal. Yeah. And and she put together this beautiful video that's still available from our synod of babies at various stages of development that you see in 3D ultrasounds. And I don't know if you've ever seen those 3D ultrasound pictures, but I guarantee you that you will get no argument that that's a baby from anybody who's ever mm-hmm. seen it. Maybe that's one of the reasons why so many pro-abortion groups oppose the idea of having ultrasounds prior to an abortion. Well, and that's that's why I think people who know the value of it really want want folks to be able to see that baby in there. So you can't deny what it is that that you're looking at. It, it that can no longer be a clump of tissues when you see it sucking its thumb. Right. <laughs> Pastor, we've got about uh, two minutes left in the program. Can we discuss uh, more about the March for Life that's coming up and what we can do both here at home and if you're participating in the uh, march and what we can do? Well, there are always there's always the option of showing up and marching in it, but there are also local groups that are having their own marches simultaneously. And if you can't go to Washington to be part of it, then talk to your local church about about either participating with a local group that's doing it in your community or doing something around your church. A lot of churches put out crosses on their lawns or or other things to show that they're supportive of life. There, I, I heard about this wonderful church that only had about 20 or 30 members and they were all older and they, they had trouble getting around and they really wanted to do something. And so what they did was they decided that that there would be a different person in the sanctuary for I think it was 16 hours to mark the the number of children who had been killed, the 16 wow. million. There would be somebody in their sanctuary for 16 straight hours praying that the Lord would save the lives of the children who were out there and to give voice to the movement. So th- we have a great God who hears our prayers and honors the action of his people. So we should get to it and find the way of locally manifesting it if you can't join us in Washington. And also remember, we do live in a constitutional republic. We have senators, representatives, and we have them on the state level as well. Let these people know how you feel about life. Amen. <laughs> well said. Okay. Pastor Zagor, I want to thank you so much for being on the, the program, to being our guest today. And remember, freedom is very, very fragile. 
And unless you exercise it, you're not going to be free to be faithful any longer. God bless you all. You've been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.